So John chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verse 14 to 17. We're going to be looking at grace and truth. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story. It's a very, it's a true story. It's a story that uh, happens to be uh, set in a little place in this world called Halifax. And I'm sure that you could actually take the same story and that could be shared around the globe because uh, wherever there's traffic, there's this same story. Let me ask you a question. Most of us here have either driven or have been in a vehicle. Who's here ever been in a car? Okay, so we're in the right room. Pretty well, everybody's been in the car. And, uh, and let me ask you a question. Have you ever experienced the thrill of traffic merging? One thing I've noticed is that people don't like to let others easily merge in front of them, especially here in Atlantic Canada. They don't know a thing called zipper merging. And so when somebody wants to merge in front of me, guess what happens? Truth gets shared. You have to tell them, hey, you should wait in line like the rest of us. Even if that line extends like 15 kilometers down the highway, they need to know the truth of their rash, rude boldness, don't they? Do I get an amen? Okay, there's a few of you truthers in here. But here's what I notice when I want to merge. I like the person I'm pushing in front of to be gracious, to wave at me with this big smile. I'm so glad to see you. I've been holding the spot just for you. But if they honk at me instead, there's that friendly guy. There's the, tr- the truth guy and, and the grace guy. But if they honk at me, my goodness, well, I, I never can imagine. When it comes to truth or grace, all of us typically lean one way or the other. I'm a truth person. I'm a grace person. We are predominantly grace or truth, it seems. The facts are that my personality and upbringing and a whole bunch of other factors makes me, by the way, also makes you, makes every one of us lean in one direction or the other. That causes us to be horn honkers or wave inners. But what if or wasn't an option? What if being both was the best or for that matter, what if it was the only option? I mean, grace people are great. They are. Love grace people. We all love grace people. In fact, we need grace people, don't we? But grace people without truth come across as tolerant and seem to not be concerned with the struggle for truth. I mean, we can leave that for the truth people. Let them worry about that. And so grace people, they just accept us for who we are. It's kind of nice. I like that. But the problem is, is they rarely ever help us become who we should be. In churches, that leads to leaders being so tolerant of sin that they begin to embrace the sin evidenced and sometimes even to begin to celebrate it. Then there are truth people. Truth people are easy to admire. Usually those are the leaders. They, they have conditions and principles. They believe in right or wrong. They, they set the standards, the parameters, the rules. They speak out against injustice and oppression and evil. They're, they're articulate and, and well-spoken. But without grace, telling the truth can become an excuse for belligerence. Another word for that is being a jerk. Truth people without grace want to change us and make us better, but they don't allow for mistakes. They, they, they're quick to cast judgment and can be slow to forgive. In churches, that leads to leaders being judgmental and legalistic. They may inspire us with their courage, but turn us off with their intimidation. If you're a grace person, you're most concerned about being loved. If you're a truth person, you're most concerned about being right. Both have their dangers. Something is wrong if if everybody hates you, and something, I think, is as equally wrong if everybody loves you. But Jesus, now, the God-man, came from the Father full of grace 
and truth. He, he was 100% in both directions. Not grace or truth, but grace and truth in complete harmony. And he introduced to us the way that we're supposed to be, but aren't. But it's so hard to see grace and truth together perfectly shared since we live in a world where one seems to always predominate over the other in, in any given circumstance or person or personality. Well, the great thing to know is that grace and truth in perfect harmony has actually been made known to us. I mean, the fog that's, that's been settling over our eyes is, has been lifted so that we can see what grace and truth look like in our everyday existence, which en enables us then to live in all the best ways that we were meant to live, but have somehow, until Jesus, all failed at. So the first thing that I want to point out is our first point is that grace and truth were made known to us. If you have your Bibles, you can look at John 1.14. And here we read, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this is the part I want to emphasize, the second part. We observed his glory. The glory is the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth were made known to us through who? Through Jesus. That means that we can see grace and truth. We can see it. We can touch it. We can taste it. We can feel it. We can experience it. It's not just some kind of pie-in-the-sky idea. It's not as though it's put in a museum and can only be looked at through a glass case. Rather, it's something that's been made tangible to us, that's been made available to all of us human beings. The one who tabernacled amongst his people in a tent has now literally tabernacled amongst his people in the flesh. And John says this, we've seen him. We've seen him with our own eyes. We, we've looked on him and we've actually touched him with our hands. You know, what caught John's attention as remarkable was the glory that he had seen inside this Jesus. Have, have, have any of you ever walked around a campground at, at night and seen lights inside the tents glowing like jewels in the darkness as they shine through the fabric? It, it is actually quite a beautiful sight, isn't it? That is descriptive, I think, of what John saw when he saw Jesus. He saw glory inside. And John is saying that the radiant and majestic glory of Jesus was full of grace and truth. And being full of both together means that Jesus isn't gracious just one moment and then truthful the next he doesn't set aside grace when it's time to be truthful, and, he, and nor does he set aside truth when it's time to be gracious. That's how I often will do it. That's not how we're designed to be when we're designed to be like Jesus. When he's gracious, he's truthful. When he's truthful, he's gracious. He, he's full to the brim of both grace and truth, and not an ounce is ever lacking out of him. By the way, in case you didn't know this, I just want to make sure that we lay this on the table. In case you didn't know this, you and I aren't Jesus. In case you didn't know. Which means then that you and I are not naturally full of grace and truth. It's not who we are. Some of us are naturally bent uh, toward one of those two things. Some of us hate confrontation. And so what we do, we gravitate towards grace. We're the waving others into the merge line type of people. Come on, come on in. Glad to see you. You know, uh, so excited to show grace, even if it means letting 15 cars in line uh, uh, ahead of us at the expense of the 150 cars sitting and waiting in line. Others have no problem being mean in their pursuit of truth. 
We're the honk the horn at not only the cards merging ahead, but also blowing the hornets out the ones, letting them in 12 cars ahead of us. They can't even hear us anyways. We naturally gravitate toward one of these two camps. The problem, though, is that when we emphasize one over the other, it, it causes unbalance and it, and it creates more issues. Certainly in our eternal destinies, which we're going to be talking about in a few moments, but also in our everyday interactions with each other. Story goes that King Rama IX of Thailand uh, performed an exceptional act of grace on his 60th birthday. This was back in 1988. He did this by granting amnesty to over 30,000 prisoners uh, by releasing them from jail. He was being gracious. His intent was to be gracious, but not recognizing the truth of the current prison situation did not turn out to be gracious for his country. Up until then, AIDS was not a problem, you see, in the public. Now, it was rampant in the prison system. You can see where this is going. Thailand is infamous for its sex trade, if you didn't know, and it didn't take long for the prisoners to find prostitutes who contracted AIDS and spread it to the straying men who went home, gave it to their wives, who gave birth to children that had then HIV. Within five years, an estimated one million people living in Thailand were HIV positive. Wow. All because a sympathetic king ignored truth while practicing grace on his 60th birthday. See where the imbalance is. You see, listen, grace can never be divorced from truth. As Christians, truth should always be accompanied by grace. And grace should always be accompanied by truth. Now, as we continue to read, we come to verse 15. Again, if you have your Bibles, take a look at this. It's where the author John goes back to John the Baptist to validate Jesus's glory. John testified concerning him and exclaimed, this is the one whom I said, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. You know, when you read this, this passage, verse 14, all the way through to 17, this verse 15 just doesn't seem to fit like, like it fits in the flow of the text. But here, here's why I think it's there. I think that John, the apostle, is just wanting to emphasize that he's talking about Jesus's glory. He's saying, look at this guy. Look at his glory. John the Apostle, by the way, is talking to an audience that had known and seen the Baptist. So it's kind of like saying, hey, just in case you didn't get it the first time, if, if you missed this point, do you remember uh, that, that it was Jesus's glory that we're talking about here? In fact, you all know that Baptist, the Baptist was considered by Jesus to be the greatest man up until this point in time in history. But even he made sure that Jesus is recognized as even greater. In fact, the Baptist himself said that Jesus is greater because he existed before him. And you have to understand, they knew who John the Baptist was, and they knew that John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin and that he was older than Jesus. So he's saying, listen, uh, he, he, he existed before me, even though he, I'm the older cousin by birth, but Jesus, well, you got to remember, he's the creator himself. So he's pointing out Jesus's glory. And so it's kind of like a reminder on his way with the rest of his thought. Then he comes back. Now that he's gotten that off his chest, let's remember who we're talking about here. He continues on in his thought about Jesus' fullness of grace and truth. So just imagine if, if we had that uh, in our lives, if we were able to live lives of grace and truth. Imagine a conversation at work where you can actually, honestly, be grace-filled even as you share important and even some hard-to-hear truth with clarity or 
or even just imagine being at home and able to speak honest truth to a family member, even while speaking with a full grace-filled vocabulary. Imagine how relationships could flourish or even be healed with that type of harmony of grace and truth in our words and attitudes and our actions. We might be saying, yeah, okay, but <laughs> I've tried that. It's, it's really hard to be both. I mean, and it just doesn't work for me. After all, you don't know the people that I know that I have to live with and I have to work with. And that's the point. Yeah, you and I can't do it. And that's why we need to receive it from something or rather someone who isn't us. Someone who's experienced people way harder to deal with than, than uh, the ones you and I deal with. And by the way, even while you and I say that about other people and, and saying that it's tough to deal with them, there's somebody else that's pointing the finger back at you and saying that you're pretty difficult to deal with too. And I think it's just good for us to remember that. So John, knowing this about most of us, and by the way, when I say most of us, I mean all of us, uh, continues on in verse 16 to let us know that we can actually receive this grace and truth that seems so impossible to handle in balance. We get to receive grace and truth in its fullness in our lives too. It's true. We do. Second point is grace and truth is received by us. Look at verse 16. Indeed, He's carrying on his thought from verse uh, uh, 14, 14, by the way. Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. You know, one of the beauties of the Christian faith, I think, is that it's, just, it's not abstract. It, it, it's deeply personal. It, in other words, it's not just something that we study. It, it's something that we actually experience. We, we, um, we, we don't, just don't read God's word and witness his grace as, as if it's some kind of foreign concept out there. Uh, you know, I'm sure you'd all agree that it's one thing to look at pictures of dessert, right? Especially when they are so tasty and glorious and delicious. It's a whole other thing to just look at them to then to eat them and to be able to taste that gloriously tasting and scrumptious and heavenly and divine Nanaimo bars. Oh, sorry, I better get back in there. It, 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 it's one thing to watch somebody being pulled out of the fire. It's another thing to be rescued yourself from the fire. That's what I mean. It, 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 the reality of the Christian faith is that we're not just eyewitnesses of God's grace. We're active recipients of grace. That's the point. I saw a meme this week that said, pessimist, glass half empty. Optimist, glass half full. Psalmist, my cup overflowed. I love that. See, that's what grace upon grace means. Just like the psalmist whose cups overflowed, we have all received grace upon grace. Think for a moment about waves crashing on the shore. We're privileged here in Nova Scotia to be never more than, what, an hour away from any beach? And so we all can appreciate the images of the waves crashing, rolling onto the shore. And so we all can, can, can imagine that as they're crashing on the rocks or the sand, the, the beauty of the ocean and above these waves is that no matter what day you go to the beach, there will always be waves, sometimes bigger, sometimes less, rolling in or crashing in on the shore. Wave upon wave settling on the shore. In the same way that waves never stop crashing on the shore of an ocean, the grace we receive in Christ, guess what? will never run out. It'll keep coming. It'll keep coming. It'll keep coming. It'll keep coming. His help is never ending. 
His grace is inexhaustible. By the way, unlike me, sadly, there are times much too often I don't extend grace. I know that's a surprise to you, but there are times I don't do that, and my family usually gets the brunt of it. And I'm ashamed to say that Debbie receives my graceless comments or attitudes at times. Yes, it's true. Now, I don't know about your home, but I'm not allowed to do the laundry. Apparently, I never do it correctly. You know, partly that's on purpose, by the way, so I don't have to get asked to do it, but mostly because I just can't seem to remember how long the clothes are washed and hot, or, or was that supposed to be cold? Can't remember. And when was I supposed to put in the liquid plumber? I mean, oh, wait, I mean, that, that's supposed to be detergent. Where's that bleach? You know, in the end, I'm left to do the cooking, and the laundry room is off limits for Steve. But that never gives me license to be graceless when I ask, how come the laundry never seems to get done around here? Especially given that she honestly seems to live most days in the laundry room. If Deb's not around, guess where you go? That's where she'll be. Because she's always doing the laundry. We seem to run out of grace space. Certainly Steve runs out of grace space much too often. But with Jesus, guess what? That is never the case, ever. With him, there are layers upon layers to his grace. Wave upon grace. Grace upon grace. Whoever as good as that sounds and as gracious as God is, grace is, from God is something that you just can't ever earn. We, we like to think we can. I'm going to do this for God, and, and, and God's going to be pleased with me, and, and, and he's going to make my life better. <laughs> Listen, we can't be good enough to get it. We, we can't be born in the, in the right family to receive it. We, we, we can't spend enough money to ever buy it. And we can't wait in line long enough to even get a piece of it. Receiving grace is not a matter of just laying there on the beach and saying, overflow me with your grace again and again and again. So here's the question. So how in the world then do we get in on this grace thing? Well, guess what? Thankfully, we do have an answer. In verse 17, where the Apostle John tells us that grace and truth come through Jesus. Verse 17 says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know, when you read this verse in its context, we see that the law of Moses was in itself a, a type of grace. And by the way, for that matter, it's a gift. Now, you might be thinking the law is all about legalism. So a church that thinks that the law is a gift must be a church that sits proudly on judgmentalism and, 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 and intolerance and gracelessness. They're, they are a truth church. They're not a grace church. But hear me out. Just bear with me for a few moments. Hear me out. Here's why I say that the law of Moses was a type of grace and why I'd go as far as to say it's a gift. First off, God gave the law to his people. Is from God. Therefore, the law, in a sense, is not anti-grace. Okay? You with me? God didn't have to give the law, but he did. And in that sense, the law then was a gift. And then secondly, God graciously gave the law to teach his people about truth. Another way of saying that is that he gave the law in order to inform his people what actions please and what actions don't please him. The law says if you do X, things will go well for you. But if you do Y, things will not go so well for you. But here's the problem. The law was only, up until this point, a primer to grace and truth. It, it was simply a 
at best a teacher. It was, a, it was an instructor, a, a revealer of God's will for his people. The law, you see, cannot extend truth and grace, but, or it can extend, rather, truth and grace, but not in its fullness. So we got a bit of it. We saw it. We began to understand it, but it still wasn't in its fullness yet. And this is where Jesus comes into the picture. What Moses does in part, now Jesus does in full. Jesus was the only one who ever kept the law and loved God perfectly, which then is why we can experience a full grace rooted in a full truth. How do we understand that? Well, just for a moment, think about a, a mother with her child. Imagine this child has a dirty face and, and, and the mother doesn't scold her for having a dirty face. I mean, she shouldn't anyways. And if she does, then there's other issues. But if she stands at her and screams at her, that's not what she, the mother does. What does the mother do? She pulls out her, a napkin. She, she pulls out a little uh, towel washcloth and, and she gently applies soap and water. And, and she may be saying as she bends over and she's wiping the dirt off her little daughter's face, my, what a dirty face you have. Tell me, how did you get such a dirty face? But all the time, while she's even doing that, she's washing her child's face. The mother's being honest with the daughter, and yet washing the face gently. Jesus is honest with us, like that mother. And he acts in loving, gracious ways. In, in a sense, he, he's like pulling out the washcloth. <laughs> even while talking about the dirt. This is the beauty of grace and truth through Jesus. When we, who now walk with him, fall short, because we do, we're not met with condemnation. You know what we're met with? Grace upon grace. Another way of understanding the term grace upon grace is to understand it as the new completed grace of Jesus as enveloping the older grace of the law of Moses. It, it comes on it, it comes over it, and it engulfs it. That means then, church, that no matter what situation you find yourself in, whatever situation you're in today, I don't care what situation you're in, doesn't matter. Whatever situation you find yourself in today, there is full, completed grace for you today in Jesus. Are you a single mom trying to raise your kids the best you can? Are you a single dad doing, working as hard as you can to raise those precious ones? Guess what? There's grace for you. Did you get a promotion even and you're doing quite well now financially? Guess what? Even in that, there's grace for you. Did you lose your job? Hey, there's grace for you. Are you hobbling through sickness? There's grace for you. Are you struggling with sin, wondering if you've now finally, you've out the Lord, he can't forgive you again? Guess what? There's grace upon grace for you. You cannot out the grace of God. Listen, Jesus was all grace. He welcomed sinners and tax collectors and he ate with them. He had compassion on the crowds when they're hungry and when they were far from home. He, he, he uh, welcomed the little children to come and sit on his lap, he was gentler and kinder than any department store Santa Claus. He healed the lepers, the lame, and the blind. He, he saved the criminal on the cross who, in his dying breath, confessed that the man that was next to him was truly the Son of God. Jesus. He was all grace, but he was also all truth. He, he condemned many of the religious leaders of his day for being liars and hypocrites. 
In fact, he even talked about hell way more than he talked about heaven. He called all his disciples to take up the cross daily. By the way, that's us as well as disciples of his and to follow him. He prophesied judgment on Jerusalem for their unrepentant hearts. He obeyed the law. He set standards and he demanded everything from his followers, even their very lives. So Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. All grace, all truth, all the time. But he didn't come just simply to give us an example of grace and truth. See what I did? You try real hard to do what I did. That's not like what Jesus did. He came to save us in grace and truth. It's only after we've been saved and made right with God that God says, all right, now that I have saved you through Jesus, you need to know that I've saved you to look like Jesus. The motivation to be full of grace and truth is not because we need to earn God's favor. So quit doing that if that's what you're trying to do. But because being a follower of Jesus means we look like the one we follow. That's what it means. And you know what, church? It requires a response. We all desperately need grace in our lives, don't we? We need to hear from Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. What joy-filled words those are. We need to know that God doesn't expect us to clean up our act before we come to him, because I can never get myself right enough to ever come to God. What he does is he implores us to come now, today, just as we are, in brokenness, in pain, in humility, in repentance, and in faith. We need to hear that Wayward children who have squandered their inheritance and have lived an immoral, rebellious life can come home into the arms of their Heavenly Father. We need those stories and to know that that's the God that we serve. But we also desperately need truth in our lives too, church. We need to hear from Jesus. The truth will set you free. We need someone as gracious as Jesus to, to bend down with, with his washcloth and to tell us the truth. That you and I, without him, we're not okay. That, that we're guilty. All of us are guilty. And that anyone who tells you otherwise is, is the one not telling you the truth. But I am, Jesus says. And because they won't tell you the truth, you won't experience the grace you need if you believe them. We need the truth. We need grace. We need Jesus. Only Jesus lived in perfect grace and perfect truth. Only Jesus can save hard-hearted, hard-headed sinners full of lives uh, lies and, 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 uh, and deserving judgment. And only by union with Jesus can we grow in the same truth and grace that walked among us in the miracle of the incarnation, the birth of, uh, of, of the, uh, the Christmas child, Jesus. Please know this. Please understand. If you'll come and leave here with only one thing to remember, know this. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. He didn't send him to condemn us. He came to save us. I want Jesus' eyes. You know how Jesus sees us. Too often when I'm driving that car and I'm wanting to merge in and they're not letting me in or somebody's trying to get ahead of me, I begin to view the world as a bunch of losers. Anybody been there? Is there an amen to that one too? Here's the problem. When I see the world as losers, what happens? There's contempt. Jesus doesn't see the world as losers. Do you know who Jesus sees us as? Lost. What a difference. 
Just a couple of letters difference, but it makes a world and eternal difference. I see them as losers. There's contempt. Jesus sees them as lost. There's compassion. That's the eyes I want. And that's how Jesus came. This echoes God, Paul's uh, gospel proclamation in Romans 8 that there is now no condemnation for those in Christ. What the law couldn't do, guess what? God did. As you contemplate the beautiful mystery of the incarnation for this Christmas season, don't forget that the, the, the word who took on flesh is, is full of grace and he's full of truth. He isn't just gracious, he possesses every perfection of grace so that we might receive from this fullness. I have a question to, for those of us who are disciples of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. Do you hold on to truth without being gracious to those around us? Are we loving and gracious while sacrificing truth? When we trust in Jesus, he'll make us people who are full of grace and full of truth in our marriages, in our parenting, and in every relationship that we have. If we forgive too quickly, we might light, make light of wrongdoing. If we judge too harshly, we make forgiveness impossible. Grace and truth. These two words explain why Jesus came to the earth. They go to the very heart of the gospel. When Jesus died, God was true to himself because sin was punished. So that's my question to those who are disciples of Christ. But for those who have not yet made Jesus Lord of your life, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you this. Will you commit your life to following this Jesus who is the fullness of grace and truth? Listen, when Christ died, God was gracious to us in that Jesus bore the punishment, not us. Because he was full of grace, he died for you and me while we were yet sinners. Because he's full of truth, though, he was able to pay for our sins completely. He forgives the sinner because he bore the sin himself. Here is truly good news for people like us. Because he's graceful, you could come just as you are. He's easy to approach and you don't have to clean yourself up first. No matter how checkered your record may be, no matter what sins you've committed, Christ invites you to come just as you are with no preconditions except a sincere desire to be forgiven. And when you do, guess what? You're going to be abundantly pardoned. And because he is truthful, you can come in complete confidence that he will keep his promises. When he promises a complete pardon for your sins, guess what? He means it. You can take that to the bank. Do you need a trustworthy savior? Fear not. Jesus is full of truth. Do you need a forgiving Lord? Come to him because he is full of grace. Let's pray.